are listening to The Addiction Files, where we discuss evidence-based treatment, clinical pearls and resources, while striving to destigmatize the treatment of addiction in our medical culture and save lives. We are The Addiction Ladies, Drs. Darlene Peterson and Paula Cook. All right, we are starting our second episode discussing opiate induction. We're going to talk about outpatient, and then Paula's going to talk about inpatient. Well, neither one of us really do in-office induction. That, and I don't, you know, I don't think I know very many people that do a lot of in-office. But there is a few situations if I have a patient with a lot of medical comorbidities. Sometimes if I have somebody on methadone, a very difficult, where I'm expecting maybe a difficult transition, I might still do an in-office induction. Do you have any where you where you do any in-office inductions anymore? Well, for buprenorphine inductions, typically in the outpatient setting, I agree with you. We don't really do so many in-office inductions. I think it's a matter of time and space and staffing. Yes. And also patient preference. But um, in methadone clinics, so in in formal OTPs, opioid treatment programs, they still do a fair amount of in-office inductions. I see that being done all the time, and I am associated with a methadone clinic, and they still do in-office or in-clinic inductions there. Um, otherwise, I agree with and, you. And that's transition, and that's not transition, is that transitioning from methadone to buprenorphine or no. that? Typically, that it, most of the time, these are folks coming in with withdrawal from either a short or a long-acting opioid, most often a short-acting opioid such as heroin. And because of the nature of the OTP, the methadone clinic, they'll do an in-office induction where they'll give the first dose observed and then monitor the patient for two hours and then give a second dose as needed. But really, nowadays, that's the only place I see in-office or in-clinic inductions other than the hospital setting where you're providing you know, medically managed withdrawal management or you're inducting someone onto buprenorphine in a hospital setting. Uh, the other situation, obviously, where I see a lot of kind of inductions occurring is in residential treatment programs. So I'm involved in that process, but it's not that's not formally outpatient, right? People yeah. are coming into residential treatment. And if they've skipped needing to go to a hospital setting first, which a lot of opioid people do, right? They don't necessarily need hospital level of care to go from using an opioid onto buprenorphine. And a lot of times insurance companies won't pay for people to have an opioid uh, quotation mark detox quotation mark anymore. So I'm seeing more and more folks enter residential treatment directly needing to be induced onto buprenorphine. And so I guess, I don't know, would you consider that in office? I guess it's in clinic or in residential induction. It's observed, so. it, it's observed right. inductions versus the home inductions, which most of us are, are doing. We're, we're seeing the patient doing their evaluation and then giving them instructions to start exactly. the medication at home. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, I mean, I think, I think the key points is making sure when you're not doing those observed inductions, the point is just education, getting a really good history, physical exam, and then education for the patient. So they know when they're, when they're starting their, you know, initial buprenorphine dose and what, and, and, you know, signs just to look for and when to contact you if they're having any, any issues. I mean, that's kind of the basic principles, correct? Right. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think education is key, especially for buprenorphine-naive patients. You know, you, it, a lot of times these days, patients who have an opioid use disorder already have had some experience with buprenorphine or a buprenorphine product. Either on the street, they've purchased it and taken it for withdrawal, or they've been prescribed it in the past. So I think a lot of people have had some experience with this medication, and so your discussion with the patient is slightly different to when you are um, treating a patient who is buprenorphine naive, in which case I totally agree. You really want to review the induction process with them very carefully so that you do not run the risk of precipitated withdrawal or if they don't, you know, and also I find um, a lot of patients just get mixed up with the dosing and they end up taking most of the time too much, not so much too little, but too much unless you give them really clear directions on how to dose day one and then how to dose day two, etc. Do you find that to be true as well? Yes. I, I mean, you, you have to sometimes understand just this patient population, right? So you, you're giving them a prescription and they're usually going to be dispensed at the pharmacy, their full week of medication. And so even though you've given them instructions, you know, this is how much you're going to take initially. And I give them very detailed instructions. And ideally, I try to give them written instructions. Because yeah. some patients, when they come and see me in the office, they may already be in mild to moderate withdrawal. And, and so we, I try to make sure they have clear written instructions if they, it's been difficult during, you know, this, we're recording this during the pandemic, but during the pandemic, if they can have somebody with them, that's not always possible. Giving them that information that these are the physical symptoms that we're looking for. And I always tell them, you know, that sometimes the first symptoms of your withdrawal is anxiety and and what we don't want to do first is panic because sometimes they will panic. And then that's like what you said, they usually take too much. And so they'll take their whole first day's dose or their whole first and second day's dose all at once because they're like, I'm, I'm starting to withdraw and I don't feel good. And, and so that's that immediate reaction. And so we try and tell them we, we got to just slow down. You're going to be okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So let's talk a little bit about timing when someone presents to you in the outpatient setting, either they're in mild withdrawal or they are still using and they plan to stop using an opioid of abuse and transition to buprenorphine. What kind of symptoms do you tell them to look for and how much time or guideline do you give your patients in terms of initiating buprenorphine? So typically what I'm looking for is I tell them and this is assuming that their primary, you know, they're only abusing just opiates. And it, so this may be a more complicated if they're poly substance abuse, because that can sometimes affect things. So just be aware of that. But we're looking for big dilated pupils and goosebumps is what I'm, and that's the main thing that we're looking for. So I tell them when they've got, you know, the big dilated pupils and goosebumps, then they're typically in a sufficient withdrawal that they're not going to get that precipitated withdrawal with their first dose. No, actually, I really like that. I use the dilated pupil sign as well. And I, I tell people to look in the mirror and wait till their pupils get to the size of a pencil eraser. Yes. Which is probably about seven, six or seven millimeters. And we talk about what withdrawal looks like for them, how it typically starts and how it progresses 
and how much time it typically takes them to go into withdrawal. Because some people, say for example heroin, some heroin users start having really significant withdrawal in six to eight hours after their last use, and some don't for 18 to 20 hours. But regardless, you want them to have not only symptoms of withdrawal, but, a timeline. but signs mm -hmm. of withdrawal, right? Both the timeline as a guide and then signs of withdrawal. So just like you mentioned, dilated pupils and goosebumps. And then I always tell people, if you've been using heroin, now sometimes you'll find in the literature, like even in tip 63, which is the SAMHSA guide for treating for medications for opioid use disorder or other very reputable sources for treating opioid use disorder with medications that, that the recommendation is to initiate buprenorphine 12 to 24 hours after last dose of a short acting opioid such as heroin. I find this is far too short of an interval. 12 hours is too short. I rarely have had a patient who has been able to initiate buprenorphine 12 hours after last use. And I think that runs a very high risk of withdrawal, precipitated withdrawal. I tell people to wait 24 hours just to be safe. Now, I think most people could wait maybe 18 or 20. But again, it depends on how long it takes them to reach that point mm -hmm. that you and I just discussed, the signs of withdrawal, because they're outpatient, so they're not going to have a cows being done. They could do a sows on themselves, which is the subjective opioid withdrawal scale. You could give them one of those scales. Those are downloadable on the internet, and they're available in tip 63 for the public domain and have them reach a certain score and then initiate. But I always tell people 24 hours, wait about 24 hours and wait for those dilated pupils and wait for moderate withdrawal where you're not so ill that you're vomiting or have diarrhea or are so anxious and distressed, but that you have some signs of withdrawal. What do you say in terms of timing for short-acting opioids? Yeah, I, no, I agree with you. The literature says 12 to, like you said, 12 to 16 for short-acting. But I agree. You do have some patients who really are going to feel that feel that way. But I, I think their risk is is a little bit higher. So I, I try to get them about 24 hours. I agree, even on the short-acting. Intermediate acting is, you know, it says 17 to 24. And then your long acting, like your methadone, 30 to 48 hours. I find you're always going to be closer to 48 to 72 hours in, in practice on methadone. So oh, that's yeah. the literature. That's what the literature says. But in real practice, I, that's what I see. Right. I agree. And I can't tell you how many people initiate buprenorphine from methadone. So patients who've been on methadone, either they're taking it illicitly or um, they're at a methadone clinic, they take, they yes. start buprenorphine way too soon. I really agree with you on that. I tell patients to wait 72 hours, is. which is a big reach, you know, to have people go 72 hours without their methadone dose. And this is a situation actually where I do see some patients be admitted to the hospital to help with that transition. Not everybody has the luxury of doing that. And you'd want someone's methadone dose to stably be at about 30 to 40 milligrams for at least five to seven days before you would even want to make this transition. But I agree, long-acting opioids such as MS content, long-acting morphine, oxycontin, long-acting oxycodone, uh, I'd say 36 hours. 36 to 48 hours. But again, you're looking for those objective signs of withdrawal. And then for methadone, I say more 72 hours from my clinical experience as well. 
Now, this, this is a topic for another podcast, Darlene, but there is a way to microdose patients yes. with buprenorphine so that you don't actually even have to have any period of abstinence from their opioid. You can initiate very, very, very small doses of buprenorphine. I mean, point, 0.2 milligrams when people are either still using heroin or on methadone or fentanyl. And I've started using that practice more and more. I must admit it's very, very useful, but that's a whole nother model and method that we can talk about. Well, well the bare knees. So you're, yeah, you're referring to the bare knees method, but I mean, that's very, very, there's good data. There's that's coming out on that in several lectures. And so, but I mean, it's very easy to look up. So if you're not familiar with that or have never heard of that, you know, you can read some papers on that that have been published. Right. And I think we should do a podcast on the Bernie's method. I found it to be incredibly clinically helpful in the hospital setting where you have critically ill patients or post-surgical patients who are either on, um, you know, PCAs or high dose short acting opioids for, for pain. For example, they've had a thoracotomy for, for endocarditis and valve replacement who then need to be transitioned to buprenorphine before they leave the hospital. And it's, unethical and unrealistic to expect them to go without any analgesia from an opioid for, you know, 24 or 48 yes. hours. And so this is where microdosing a buprenorphine can be very, very helpful. But let's, let's postpone that. Let's put that on the shelf. No, I just think know that's that that good. is an option. No, right? I mean, I think Down that's very relevant. Yeah. Right. But for now, just classic buprenorphine induction, 24 hours for short acting opioids. 48 to 72 for long acting, 72 being the long end for methadone. And you want objective findings of dilated pupils and goosebumps. And if you want to have, if, if someone's very anxious, which you can find, you, you could give someone a SALS scoring tool to actually measure their withdrawal so that they know when to initiate. And I've had some patients who, no matter how long they wait, they really still have trouble with initiating buprenorphine. And um, I've had a couple of patients like that. And, you know, I've seen them more recently, and I wonder if it has something to do with, and there's a very good lecture on this actually in the recent CSAM conference, which is the California Society of Addiction Medicine, where it's not so much a matter of timing, but it's a matter of tolerance that people are getting very potent fentanyl or synthetic opiate-laced heroin and they're initiating with buprenorphine, but they're just not getting adequate treatment because their tolerance is extremely high. So we could talk about that in a little bit as well. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's that's where our drug screens, but sometimes our in-office drug screens don't pick up some, every single one of these synthetics. And so that may be something if you're struggling with that, making sure that you have a specific panel there that, for fentanyl. So I think that's something to be aware of because I think that's more uncommon, right, Paula, that we're sometimes missing when you're having a patient who's struggling with their induction. Absolutely. Absolutely. But with your dosing, so on your initial dose, when you tell them, okay, what's your instructions to them? You know, what do you have them start with? Do you always have them start with two to four milligrams as their initial dose? Is that usually your instruction? Do you have a set dose? What's your usual protocols? It varies according to their tolerance. Mm -hmm. So I kind of, and when I'm teaching residents or teaching, you know, others, I I try and simplify it. Of course, there are, there's more nuances to this, especially for people who are on 
very low dose MMEs, then you really want to modify this. But in general, I look at tolerance as being either low tolerance or high tolerance. And I know this is kind of simplistic and we talked about this before. But for me and, and the patients that I see, generally, if people are using a gram or I'd say less than a gram a day, so 0.5 grams of heroin a day or two to three balloons, 0.2 to 0.3 grams, etc. I consider that, or in oxycodone MME, anything less than 80 um, oxycodone equivalents, then I consider that low tolerance. And I would start those patients with a two milligram initial dose of Suboxone sublingually, monitor their symptoms, tell them to wait to see how they feel. And then if they still feel significant withdrawal, I just tell them to wait until their withdrawal returns and give themselves an additional dose, but to wait at least one hour for that initial dose to work. And then on the first day, I tell them not to take any more than four milligrams. So for low tolerance patients, those who are using about half a gram of heroin or less a day, or less than 80 milligrams of oxycodone a day. Those are kind of the two main opioids we, we deal with. I tell people to initiate with a two milligram dose and they may take up to four milligrams day one. And then on day two, they may increase to eight milligrams total dose if they're still having any signs of withdrawal and they should take that dose all at once. So four milligrams on day one, eight milligrams on day two. What do you do for people with about this tolerance? And what do you consider low tolerance, Darlene, in your practice? You no, know, that's very similar. I, you know, so mine is, yeah, low tolerance is usually same, less than a gram. And then I'm like a gram and a half or higher is usually where I'm kind of like, that's more high tolerance. And, and it's difficult because I'll get some who've kind of been mixing, and, but then I tend to put those more in the high tolerance category. So it gets a little challenging there where you just need to take that time and get a really careful history. We we talked about this before too as well, but many patients have already, they've made that decision that they want to get help and they've already started self-decreasing. So they, they come in and they fill out their histories and they say, I'm using this much, but they have already tapered themselves and some of them have been tapering for a month or two. So I get very specific timelines and a detailed history on their use and especially their most recent use over the past weeks or months. And and I make sure I'm going off of that so I don't end up going too high on their dose as well. I've gotten several patients that have come to me and they end up sometimes being on these really high doses and they're having side effects or they're diverting. And that's why, because they just don't need as much. Yes. And, and so I'm making sure that we're watching for that. I agree. I think overdosing is actually quite common with Suboxone, with buprenorphine products. I think it's very, very common. Uh, patient providers feel like, oh, well, eight, you know, they look up in Hippocrates and they see that the typical dose is 16 milligrams and they just start everybody on 16 milligrams, which is definitely too high. Remembering that buprenorphine is a very potent drug. It's very, very potent. One milligram of buprenorphine is about equivalent to 40 morphine milliequivalents. So that's very, that's very high, really. I mean, that means if you've got a little 65-year-old lady who's been taking her hydrocodone 10 milligrams six times a day instead of four, and you're trying to make the transition, she meets criteria for OUD, 60 you know, milligrams of hydrocodone a day really is only equivalent to about one to two milligrams of buprenorphine 
total. Yes. And if you give her more than that, she will have sedation, headache, nausea, dizziness, etc. I mean, the most common side effects I see from over-medication of buprenorphine are headache and nausea. They're almost global. And I tell people, if there's a sweet spot with buprenorphine, more is not better, which is counter- culture to people with addiction they always want to take more they think well if one is good absolutely (laughs) yeah but with buprenorphine because it's a partial opiate agonist and we talked about this in a previous podcast there's a ceiling effect with the dose and it attaches at the receptors the mu opioid receptors at low doses with very very high affinity and high activity and so people typically feel those effects if their tolerance is not too high. But if they get headache or nausea after they dose, it's a sign that they've taken too much. They want that sweet spot where they have resolution of two things, withdrawal and cravings. Now, you're not going to have complete resolution of cravings when you just immediately start buprenorphine, but you should have a reduction in cravings. And you can expect after you reach steady state with buprenorphine, which takes about four to five days, you should expect complete resolution of withdrawal, 100% resolution of withdrawal. Yes, no, absolutely. And then just briefly, so on our high dose in induction, so you typically, what's your starting dose on those ones? Well, I agree with you. I think high tolerance is anything about a gram and a half and up of heroin and anything above 120 milligrams of oxycodone and up. And, you know, we talk, we didn't talk about this, but the route of use is somewhat significant. So patients who are injecting are likely to have, be more tolerant than patients who are smoking their their opiate. So that also adds to the tolerance a little bit, right? If you have a patient who is injecting one gram a day of heroin, that will be different to a patient who is smoking a gram a day. But I agree with you. I, I think high tolerance is about a gram and a half plus super tolerant people are at three grams a day. We can talk briefly about those folks. But for those people, anyone who has high tolerance, so over 120 milligrams of oxycodone, over a gram and a half, or a gram even of heroin injected, I tell people to initiate, and this is in in um, accordance with SAMHSA and with the TIP-63, initiate with four milligrams sublingually, so half a film of the eight, and then repeat the dose when they have recurrent withdrawal or in one hour, and then do that for the first 24 hours, so no more than eight milligrams day one. And then on day two, depending on their tolerance, if they're in the one gram range to a gram and a half of heroin, I say, you know, you're probably going to be somewhere between eight to 12 milligrams. So see how you feel on day two. If you feel fine on day two, you don't have withdrawal, your anxiety has gone, you're not sweating, you don't have a headache or nausea, eight milligrams, stay there for a few days. If you still have some withdrawal symptoms, cravings are severe, go to 12 milligrams. For patients who have significant tolerance, you know, one and a half to two grams a day, I tell them to take 16 milligrams a day. No more than that, definitely. And if they hit a headache and nausea, they need to back it off to 12 milligrams. And this is where it's really helpful to have a day three post-induction follow-up visit, because then you can really see how did they do on day one, how did they do on day two and how do they feel today? And that's that's kind of where I assess, do they need 
somewhere between 8 and 16 milligrams, depending on their tolerance for these people who are really pretty tolerant. For low tolerance people, you want to make sure you're not overdosing them. Their dose could be anywhere from 2 milligrams to 8, depending on their tolerance and depending on their age. And also what other medical conditions they have and what other prescription and over-the-counter either drugs or medications that they take, right? Yes. No, I think that's so important. And I, and I really like how you said, you know, each patient does respond differently. Some are very sensitive to the medication and it is important to follow up with the patient. I have, I have found some patients that I thought they would need much higher doses, but they they immediately were having those side effects and we needed to go down and they felt much, much better and they weren't in withdrawal. And so I think that's key. And cravings, like you said, cravings, I tell my patients cravings are, and, and this is, I'm making it very simple, but I tell them it's 50% psychological and 50% physiological. The buprenorphine is going to help you with the physiological cravings. The therapy that we are starting you in is what's going to help you with your psychological. And so that is not going to immediately be gone with the medication. So once you stabilize, we know that you will feel better and your withdrawal will be gone and your cravings will be reduced. But we don't keep going up on the medications to just try to make that part go away. Does that make absolutely. sense? Absolutely. I absolutely yeah. agree. And I remind patients too that it takes four to five days to really settle into steady state yes. where you have enough accumulated medication um, to really know what's going on. So I totally agree with you. I, I think the number one thing you're trying to ameliorate are withdrawal and then number two, craving, but that's going to be part of their overall recovery you know, plan. Yeah. Uh, one thing I see happening quite frequently, we have here in Salt Lake City where I work, we've been involved in um, creating an emergency department um, induction program so people can present to the emergency room and be given a prescription or started on buprenorphine right there. So they don't need to present to an addiction clinic or a family medicine clinic. And then they get referred to a community partner who will maintain their buprenorphine. So what I'm finding though from those that particular um, cohort of patients is that they really superdose themselves. It must have something to do with just maybe some fear and anxiety surrounding withdrawal. They also tend to be higher tolerant users who use polysubstances especially stimulants, and they're used to just super dosing because they have that upper effect of methamphetamine or crack cocaine. And a lot of those folks will, they'll, they'll be given instructions, but the instructions can be very confusing. You know, take a half, take this, wait an hour, and they just end up taking 24 or 32 milligrams a day right out of the gate. And they often don't feel well. They vomit, they have headache, yes. they feel really sick, and they think, man, Suboxone, buprenorphine is the worst. It's not a good choice for me. So it's really important to give people clear written instructions. You can download pictorial instructions of how to start patients and what dose they should take and when from the internet, from SAMHSA, from TIP63, um, and give them, hand them to your patient and review them at a fifth grade level, health literacy level. Now, I think that's excellent. I think that's so important just to keep keep those printed and just hand them out to your patients so that they have clear, I think clear instructions are so important. And I think it's really important for new providers. If you are new to prescribing buprenorphine, naloxone to patients, I, I think sometimes these induction guides can be very confusing because it says, well, you know, eight milligrams on day one, 16 milligrams on day two, it's up to those amounts. That doesn't mean that you are going to necessarily be prescribing 
the patients those amount. It's very important to look at the amount that they're using and their tolerance levels and evaluating the patient. And even if it's not feasible to see the patient back in the office in two or three days, even a phone follow-up, we try. I try to have them come back in even just for a nurse visit check, vitals check, and just check in. But some of them, transportation is very difficult for them. We make sure that they know, call and just check in with my nurse. And it prevents a lot of those, you know, and you, you've alluded to that, Paula, you know, those patients that you get and they've had really negative ex- experiences with buprenorphine before. And this is where it it's coming from. I think it's sometimes these rocky starts and whatever we can do to just make these inductions smoother, then they're more likely to be compliant and stick with treatment. So we don't lose them. Exactly. Exactly. No, that's absolutely true. I think follow-up is really key. Follow-up and education, um, education surrounding the whole process and including family in it as well in terms of how to keep the medication safe, keep it locked up. It's very, very dangerous for children and pets if they have access to this. And then to give patients a very limited amount of of medication with the first prescription. So I see this happening very frequently where patients present for um, opioid use disorder treatment and they get given 30 days of buprenorphine naloxone or or buprenorphine monoproduct, even worse, out of the gate, which is really inappropriate. Uh, We should only be giving patients small amounts of this medication at a time until we know what their dose is and until they prove that they can handle this medication responsibly, not overtake it, not divert it. And so I typically give patients two two to three days worth with their first prescription, have them follow up, and then typically give them seven-day prescriptions thereafter for several months. Every seven days, um, they have to come and get a new prescription. And um, there are ways to kind of work that out if people have high co-pays for each prescription they fill up they fill per month there's ways to kind of work around that but I do not give anyone longer than a seven day uh, prescription um, for buprenorphine naloxone um, once I see someone back from their three-day follow-up from induction agreed yes the, the same I do not and and when we're talking about buprenorphine we're, we're shortening it we only prescribe buprenorphine naloxone in our practices there's seldom a reason to be to prescribe the mono product. I know years ago that was kind of the standard was people would induce with the buprenorphine mono product, but that that is no longer the standard of care. So I think maybe just to you know yeah. we just make that clear. We we do all of our inductions on buprenorphine naloxone, but I think sometimes it's easy. We're saying buprenorphine, but we we are meaning yes. buprenorphine naloxone yes. to make that Thank very you for clear. That out. Yes. And then anything else, Paula, just anything different that you do inpatient on an inpatient induction? Well, on an inpatient induction, we just have a little bit more luxury where in the hospital setting, I'd say, I'll say the hospital setting and the residential treatment center setting are very equivalent. We have staff who are monitoring patients. We know when their last use was, if they've given an accurate history, and we're doing cows scales typically every four hours with vital signs we can provide patients with some comfort medications before they initiate buprenorphine so we typically give clonidine as long as their blood pressure will tolerate it visceral prn for anxiety trazodone for sleep and we have some other comfort medications like you know acetaminophen ibuprofen etc and then we can wait and start buprenorphine when the time requirement's up and then also when they either meet a certain cow score or when objectively the patient 
looks like they're ready to initiate. Now, cow score, just remember that that's highly subjective. It is. So some patients may not actually ever meet a high cow score, interestingly enough. So I've had um, instances in the hospital where buprenorphine naloxone has been written to initiate with a cows of a certain level. So initiate when cows is 12 and poor patients end up going 36 or 48 hours without medication because their cows never quite hits a 12 because they're under reporters or, or the recorder of the cows, the nurse or some other health professional doesn't quite score them highly enough. So I much prefer your method, Darlene, of, of checking pupils looking for objective signs like goosebumps, and then looking for a time frame. And again, asking the patient, have you been on buprenorphine before? How long did you wait before you initiated it? And how long do you typically take to get into moderate to severe withdrawal after you last use? Then it's the same thing. I initiate with very similar doses, two milligrams for low tolerance people with a repeat in an hour at PRN, up to two, up to four milligrams total daily dose on day one. And then of course, I'm seeing them the next day so I can evaluate how they did. For highly tolerant people or moderate tolerance, initiate with four milligrams, repeat four milligrams again in an hour, and then see how they are the next day. Now I have had some people who have really high tolerance who the nurse has called me or I've seen them and they're just miserable even after eight milligrams on day one. And I'm in an inpatient setting where I'm monitoring them. I know they're not taking handfuls of alprazolam. I'll just give them another dose, give them 12 milligrams on day one. That happens as well. But otherwise, inpatient management of buprenorphine naloxone induction is very similar. You just happen to be there to monitor and you can tweak it a little bit, give them some comfort meds, and it makes the process a little bit more comfortable. No, sounds great. Any other last thoughts? Anything else we need to know with induction? Well, one last thing I would like to say is it's very common in medical culture still to want to detox patients using buprenorphine naloxone. And people, patients will present and want to detox. So what we mean by detox in quotation marks is they want to only use, or the doctor or the provider only wants to give this medication for a short period of time so that the patient doesn't have withdrawal. It's given in tapering doses down and off, and then the patient is discharged home or discharged out of the residential treatment center, having their buprenorphine dosed, for example, 12 milligrams, you know, eight milligrams day one, six milligrams day two, four milligrams day three, two milligrams day four, discharge. This is a setup. This is a setup for relapse, for return to use, and for overdose. And it is not recommended. It is not standard of care. And if anything, it could be considered medical malpractice because we know that the rate of return to use off of buprenorphine or other medications like methadone or naltrexone is about 93%. And the risk of dying by overdose is about 20% per year. And that goes up nine times. The odds ratio is nine if they have had an overdose previously. So this is unacceptable. And if patients demand it, well, in that case, we need to educate them about the risks. We need to provide them with, well, everybody needs to be given naloxone, Narcan, Rescue, but we need to give them resources to represent for care, represent for medication management with something that will help them not have an opioid overdose death and educate our colleagues and our peers who are using this method. I see it over and over and over again, especially in the residential treatment setting where a lot of these residential treatment programs are abstinence-based 
or in the hospital setting where patients are given a few doses of buprenorphine and then discharged, it's really just a setup. They're going to have withdrawal from the buprenorphine. They're not stable. They're not given a chance to manage their withdrawal, excuse me, their cravings, and they just are destined to return to using their their primary opioid. It actually drives me crazy. This is a soapbox of mine, so sorry. I went off on that. But I'm actually not- No, I... I cannot agree with you more. And, you know, and Paula, ASAM has come out with a statement against this type of treatment programs. And so, no, I mean, this is very, very important. So, I mean, I think this is just a lesson and the data supports that that is not what we should be doing with this type of medication. It is not designed as a detox type of medication. So if we're using it in that way, it is inappropriate and we're doing a disservice to our patient. So no, I think it's very clear. And and obviously both of us are very passionate about it, but we have, we get these patients either after they've had a near fatal overdose or we're seeing their sibling because they died. And then that drives their family member to come into treatment because I've had multiple patients in that situation. This is how we need to be offering the patients evidence-based treatments. And this, and, that's, and this is not what the evidence shows of just giving them a three-day detox. It doesn't make any sense if you really think about how the medication works. And logically, it doesn't make any sense. Right. I agree. I agree. So that was great. That's a good look at induction and seeing people back on day three after you give them instructions to start. And then from day three to seven, again, you can be tweaking the dose. You can be saying, well, let's maybe go up a little bit. And then you're seeing them back. You can see them back as often as you want. You know, I've seen some yes. people back every day or every other day, or we do a phone visit. Now with telemedicine, it's fantastic, right? You can do a lot of touches and um, get people stable. Pa- patients who are initiating buprenorphine from short-acting opioids typically do pretty well. I find them that they do really pretty well. It's smooth. Mm-hmm. Folks who are coming from long-acting medications like fentanyl patch or long-acting oxycodone, long-acting morphine, or especially methadone, it's a trickier transition and people often don't feel well for a few days and you have to stick with them and figure it out, especially people coming from methadone to buprenorphine. I always tell folks it's going to be a week before you feel anything like normal. It's going to be a rough week. Both the and I just prepare them. And I just say, it's going to be a rough, but your each day is going to right. get better. And I think it's just, it's just that if you educate them, if we follow up with them, and those are patients that I make sure we are following up with, as long as they know that it's going to get better, most of them will st- they stick yep. with Oh, absolutely. It. There's often high motivation for methadone patients to transition to buprenorphine, yes. especially cost is a big um, incentive for patients who will not have insurance cover their methadone treatment, but will cover their buprenorphine naloxone treatment in the outpatient setting. Also, buprenorphine naloxone in the outpatient setting gives folks a lot more freedom than methadone clinic does. So patients are often highly motivated to make that transition. And um, I've seen, I've really rarely had anyone fail that. You just need to get patients to the right starting dose of methadone and then stick with them, give them comfort medications uh, as needed that are not sedating or addictive, no benzodiazepines, no muscle relaxants, and then get them onto buprenorphine at a dose that that's, helps them feel stable. No, that sounds great. Okay, so I think that's a wrap. Until next time. 
Hey, check us out at theaddictionfiles.com or email us at theaddictionfiles at gmail.com. Thank you so much to Ricky Valides for use of his song, Awake. Check him out at rickyvalides.com. and guests are not responsible for any harm caused by information obtained from the source. As each person is unique, you're advised to seek the advice of your own healthcare professional to treat any medical conditions you may be having. Opinions expressed on the show are those of the addiction files and not of our respective employers.